So Yosemar has been talking about um, this series on, you know, back to basics, the foundations of Christianity, the, the disciplines that God has given us and how we establish those in our lives. So he spent two weeks uh, talking about fasting. We're turning a little bit today and we get to talk about the Word of God. And uh, this, this sermon today is called Reading to Live, and I can't take credit for that really awesome uh, sermon title. The next two weeks, you're going to get a really nice glimpse of a book by Eugene Peterson called Eat This Book. And if you don't know Eugene Peterson, you may have heard of The Message. He actually wrote uh, a translation of scripture called The Message, and it's a really awesome way to dig into the Word if that's not something you're comfortable doing because it's so hard to understand and all the things. The Message is an awesome way. It's a, it's a modern uh, translation of how we literally talk today. And so I, I just love that and wanted to call that out. Um, but this week, we're going to talk about the why we read Scripture. And next week, we're really going to talk about how we read Scripture. All right, so I want to just dig in here. You know I'm a nerd. I love data, and I love research. And so I thought we would start here with looking at some statistics that are important for Christians on how the Bible is being used, really if the Bible is being used. And so this study is from the American Bible Society. They do this huge study every year. It's this really big report. If you're like me, download it and dig in. There's all kinds of good nuggets um, to it, but it, it's kind of frightening too, the information that we're really understanding about Christianity and faith. So if you look here, this is a really low bar that's been set for how the Bible is used. So as long as someone is reading the Bible three times or more a year, they can say they're a Bible user, okay? And this is outside of church service. And they ask these questions on, do you read scripture three times a year? They ask this question in January. So really, the data that we have for 21 is telling us about 20, uh, 2020. So you'll see there was quite a jump for 21. Of course, that was reflective of COVID of 2020. What was going on? Everything slowed down. We weren't doing anything, unless you were a pastor, and then everything was crazy. <laughs> but things really slowed down. Plus, people were anxious. They were worried. There was lots going on. There was a lot of fear. And so people were digging into Scripture probably to just get some hope and comfort uh, to really reflect on God's promises. But what's happened since COVID? Look at that drastic drop. So tw the 22 and 23 that you see there are really reflective of what's happened in 21 and 22. The past two years... Bible usage has dropped drastically, and only 39% of people are opening their Bibles three times or more a year. When it comes to worshiping, people who worship, that saw a drastic drop as well. I don't have a chart for that, but only under half of people who worship regularly, now let me explain this, regular attendance for church is one time a month. If you go one time a month, that's considered regular attendance now. And we've seen that with that drop in regular attendance, it used to be three or four times a month. Now that we've seen that drop, we're seeing a drop in Bible reading going down too. And only just under half are reading, Bible, the, reading the Bible daily who actually attend church. So what's the number one reason we don't read? Ain't nobody got time for that. We ain't got time. It's the number one reason anybody that you ask, all these Bible readers, like, why don't you read the Bible? Everybody says time. Everybody says time. You know, we didn't learn a daggone thing from COVID. 
We didn't learn one, not one daggone thing from COVID. We are busier. We are more consumed. We are more exhausted. We are more tired. We are more sick than we have ever been before. There is a drastic decline in church attendance. There is a drastic decline in reading scripture. There is a drastic decline in prayer. And what's happening is we're seeing a further decline in younger generations plugging in to faith and carrying it on, carrying that torch on. We've got to rise up those saints, right? And so I want to talk about what that looks like. If you look here, this is from 2022. So if you look here, these are Bible users by generation. I mean, even the elders, there's only 49% of those people reading. Under half, right? So with each generation, we see a pretty drastic drop on Bible usage. And I'm going to say something that's going to hurt a little bit. I like to do that sometimes. We cannot blame Gen Z for this decline. We cannot blame them. We cannot blame the millennials. We cannot blame the Gen Xers. We cannot blame the boomers. Because with every generation, they're living in the times, in the culture, in all the things that past generations created for them. We know that. It takes a while for decisions and things to impact future generations when decisions are made. And I'm not saying that those decisions were made maliciously or with ill intent. And here's a a perfect example. Children's church. 20 or so years ago, I remember when I was raised in church, I was raised in a church just like this, red everywhere, pews. And I used to hide from my mama so she couldn't see me, but I could feel her looking at me. You know, I mean, I was raised in church with her, but then there was, a ter- there was a turn where I'm sure along the way somebody thought, you know what, kids can't sit in church. It's, it's too hard for them to sit there. They're not really getting anything out of it. So let's create a space for kids to learn and grow about God in a way that they learn. I'm sure that was made with positive intent. I'm sure there was nobody that thought, man, these kids are a distraction. They're getting on my nerves. I can't hear the sermon. <laughs> I'm sure none of that happened. But what's happened, what research is showing us, is how detrimental this has been. We can see it right here. These kids that are graduating high school and going to college, they've never been in a space like this. They don't know how to worship corporately like this because they haven't been here. That's got to change. We're recognizing the impact that's had on these younger generations, and that's got to change. Which, as a parent, I'm like, oh, good. My kid gets to be in church with me. (laughs) And I'm sure Summit, who is the oldest, is like, oh, yay, I get to be in church with Mommy. So I also want to talk about this. So I have a Bible here. You can tell it's worn slick out. I mean, the pages are coming together. It's coming kind of unbound. There's tape holding it together. And I wish I could say this for my Bible. It kind of is now, but not really. This was my Uncle Russ's Bible. And the cool thing I remember about this Bible is we would go down. My Uncle Russ and Aunt Pearlie lived in Florida. My Aunt Pearlie still lives there. Um, Uncle, Ra- uh, Uncle Russ passed away in 2011, and he left his Bible to me. 
And Aunt Pearlie called me and she said, I know you want it, but I want to hold on to it for a little bit longer. And of course, I understood that. And so when she gave it to me, I immediately thought of all the memories I have of going down there and every single day, Uncle Russ sitting at his dining room table in the same chair with this Bible reading it. And the cool thing about Uncle Russ, he would write the dates of every time he would start in a new section. The even cooler thing is when God would lay a name on his heart, he would write it down at the scripture. And in Hosea 12, 6, my name is written in here. Now, I went back to look to see about what time he would have done this, God would have laid me on his heart, and it was in 2009. There's something you all may not know about me. I went through a divorce in 2009. I had been in a verbally and emotionally abusive relationship for four years. I had been a caged bird. And when I flew out of that cage, I went a little crazy. I, I just, God, I knew he wanted me to do this but I wasn't ready to do that, so I went nutso. Did a lot of things I shouldn't have done, made a lot of bad choices, and God laid me on my Uncle Russ's heart. I knew he had been praying for me, but this day he prayed God's word over me. Oh, come back to God. Live by the principles of love and justice and always be expecting much from him, your God. That mattered. That mattered. Are we doing this for our children, for our grandchildren, for the future generations of the world? Data's showing we're not. It's showing we're not, but it matters. I want to get back to this reason for not reading scripture about this time thing. And the number one reason why people don't read their Bibles, and I use this excuse myself, all right? I am not the pot kettle, calling the kettle black. I am here. I use time as a reason all the time. Because I've got a family, I've got a full-time job, I've got a marriage I'm trying to maintain, I've got a relationship with God I'm trying to do, but oh, sitting down and reading my Bible is really hard to do. And you're like, well, you're a pastor. Aren't you in it every day? You'd be surprised. It's easy for us to use this. It's easy for us to just say, time is why I don't read. But I'm going to call us out on that. I'm going to call myself out on that. Because we all know in this room, what's important to us, we will make time for it. We will. We'll make time for the things that are important in our lives. So a more important question is, is the Bible important to me? Is the Bible important to me. As most things are, I think there are layers to this excuse. Time is an easy one. Nobody judges us for that. Oh yeah, we get that. When we peel back the layers of what's really going on, while we really don't want to read scripture, we'll see something else. A main reason that I believe we don't read scripture and that's because it's not easy. It's not easy. And I'm not talking because, well, it's written in different languages for one thing. It's been interpreted. Depending on the interpretation, it can be really hard to understand. There's a historical context and a cultural context that we may not be able to piece together just reading it. We have to have help to try to understand that. There's all kinds of theology that's drowned in this thing. It's not easy to read just because of those things. 
But what I'm talking about is that the Bible wasn't meant to be easy to read. In Ephesians 6, 17, Paul says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what, friends? The Word of God. Scripture was not meant to be easy to read. Of course, it provides comfort and peace and hope for us in a time, in all the times that we need it. But it literally was meant to be discomforting, to shake things up, to push us outside our comfort zone, to help us realize where we are in space and in time and in life. And sometimes that's not easy to come to grip with. It's meant to make us uncomfortable with the choices we make, the sins we bear, the words we use, the music we listen to, the shows we watch. It's meant to make us uncomfortable with those things. The Word of God shows us how to change by amplifying how to be more Christ-like. Why do we read Scripture? I'm giving away my whole thesis of the sermon. We read Scripture to live. We read Scripture to know the one who is life and gives life abundantly. We read Scripture to change, to be transformed. This Bible is the status quo. It is the bar that has been raised for us as disciples, as Christians. It is the way in which we are to live and the way in which we are to judge. And I'm going to talk about that later. But hold that, placeholder. It's tough. We know change is tough. We have to be vulnerable. We've got to be humble. We've got to set our pride aside. It's not an easy thing. We want to consume our time for other things that are easier. Not this. But there is only one way to life, and Jesus tells us what that is in our scripture for today from John 6, 48 through 50. I am the bread of life, said Jesus. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Who is the bread of life? Jesus. That's why we come to this table and why we have, especially during this series, because we need to be reminded who provides us with everything we need. Jesus. We read scripture so we know who he is. The Old Testament and the New Testament. You can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. If you don't understand the Old Testament and read it, you're not going to know why Jesus came. You're not going to understand that. They go together like peanut butter and jelly, peas and carrots. In my world, biscuits and gravy. You cannot have one without the other, otherwise you're missing out. You're missing it. Do we believe Jesus is the bread of life? Yes. Now, why do we believe Jesus is the bread of life? I think of that good old hymn, Jesus Loves Me, because the Bible tells me so. 
Because the Bible tells me so. And I want to talk about one more statistic. Bear with me. This is about Americans' views of the Bible. What is the Bible? And so there's some other categories up here, but I want to focus on the Christian adults because, well, that's my audience, and I want to talk about that. So I want to tell you about these different uh, views that they could have chosen. So the actual Word of God means it's the actual Word of God, and every single word is to be taken literally. The second bucket is the inspired Word of God, and not every word is to be taken literally. We could do a whole conversation, a whole week of talking about those two buckets, but I don't want to focus there today. I want to focus on this last one. 16% of Christian adults say the Bible is an ancient book of fables. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an oxymoron. What? How can you say you're a Christian and not believe the Bible is the Word of God? You cannot claim to believe in Jesus Christ but not believe that the Bible is the Word of God. If the Bible is not the Word of God, inspired by God and true, then Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. In order to profess Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have to believe what's in here. We have to believe what this is, is inspired and given to us from the Holy Spirit for us to better understand who God is. The Bible is our truth. It's our foundation. It is the leg upon which we stand. I'm baffled that 16% of Christians say the Bible is not the Bible. That is a big deal, a really big deal. The Bible is the most researched, most studied, most controversial book of all time. It is the most accurate historically and archaeologically of any ancient book. Over 25,000 manuscripts have been found to confirm its writings. And with all that being said, I want to turn to something that Eugene, Patterson, uh, Eugene Peterson says. He was a pastor of 50 years. He dealt with a lot of people. He was a wonderful theologian. And he says this quote in the preface of the book. Not even like two paragraphs in, he says this very important words. But as it turns out, in, the, in this business of living the Christian life, ranking high among the most neglected aspects is one having to do with the reading of the Christian scriptures. Hear this. The most neglected aspect is not that Christians don't own and read their Bibles, which we saw. We don't. The most neglected part is not that Christians don't believe their Bibles are the Word of God, which we're seeing an increase in that. Now, he says the most neglected aspect of reading the Scriptures is reading the Scriptures formatively, reading in order to live. How we're actually, wow, we're actually reading the Scripture. If I were to say reading this book is a matter of life and death, would you agree with me? That's what he's saying. This book and what's in it is a matter of life and death. Pastor Yosmar said a little bit ago that knowledge isn't power. 
Taking the knowledge and applying it is power. We know how important this book is to our belief and faith, but yet we aren't making the time for it. We have knowledge, but that's not giving us power. We're not doing it. If we profess we believe in Jesus, can we confidently say why? If we say we believe because the Bible tells us so, can we defend that boldly and without waiver? I'm not sure we can. If we say we believe in Jesus because the Bible tells us so, and we've read it and we believe it because of this, then it must all be true in order for Jesus to be true. Y'all, we got to know what's in here. And not just from coming and hearing a sermon every week. We're just touching the tip of the iceberg with the things we're saying. God is waiting for you. He invites you so that he can show you one-on-one what his word is saying to you. That should excite us. God wants to show you in your time with this book who he is. We are to desire this just as much as we desire food. This is supposed to come first. We are to desire to discover the God this book tells us exists and loves us. We will believe more deeply to experience him more richly and we'll become activated to do what this book was really meant to do. And Hebrews 4, 12 tells us this. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I'm circling back to judgment here. I'm circling back to that reason of why we really don't read. Friends, we have to judge. We were created to. We have logic. We have reason. God set us apart from any other species and then gave us a standard. We use this not to judge others. We can. But you know what we got to do first? You got to judge yourself against this. God, how am I living up to this? When you've done that, and he's transformed you, and you're pretty much Jesus, then you get to judge. And I'm not saying there's no, no time for judgment. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But if you don't judge yourself against this, but you're judging others, that's, my friend, when you are a hypocrite. That is the correct usage of that word. It's not always used correctly, but that's it. The word is living and active when we open it. And we allow the Holy Spirit to be present in our lives, to just acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is with us. He will speak to us. He will show us how we have to change. And that's hard. It's so hard to stop smoking that smoke or drinking that drink or saying that word or telling your kids that you can't do that or you can't hang out with that person. Stop listening to that music or saying that or doing this. It's hard. It's a hard choice to make. 
But what this does is it not only tells us what choice to make, it assures us we have the power to make that choice through the Holy Spirit. We are not on our own to do this. He has not left us alone. When we believe that Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit and believe in its authority, the Holy Spirit then transforms and changes our lens. So we no longer view ourselves by the world's standards, but by God's standards. We change to become more Christ-like. And I want to talk about a change that's going to happen this week. And I know there's some people upset about it. Trust me, I've talked to a lot of you. It's a hard change. Even for those of us who wanted chairs, it's still a hard thing. We've worshipped here for a long time in this space like this. But God is pushing us outside our comfort zone. I don't know why. I have no idea what he is preparing us for next. But here's what I know. I want to stay open. I want to stay vulnerable for the way he is transforming me and this church so that we can be ready for the next thing God's got coming. I want to be ready for the way he is awakening and enlightening St. John to be his church and this world that so desperately needs him. And I want you to be there with me. I want you to be there with me. I understand. I do. But I don't want to do that without you. And neither does God. When we encounter this word, we become transformed. We become transformed. We become more holy. We're able to say, wow, I sinned there. That is a sin that is holding me back from you. And here's where the judgment part comes in that's hard. When we recognize a sin in our lives, we have to set a boundary. And sometimes that means we have to say no to the people in our lives. We have to stop being with them for a time. We have to stop doing that thing or getting close. God's not going to send you into the wolf pack after you just recognized that that's a sin, that you need to allow him to strengthen you and help you overcome it. He's not going to send you and go, hey, friends, let's do this, because guess what you're going to do? You're going to fall right back in. You're not ready. It takes time to get through that. If you become ready, when you are strong enough, then he might send you back in. And you know what's going to happen? Those people that you had to set boundaries around that you still love and still love you, you still have that connection, they're going to say, wow, you're different. What's going on? You have something about you. Guess what you get to say? I want to talk to you about this guy named Jesus. I want to tell you what he's done for me. And it comes from a place of humility. And then there's a space created for their story. But you have to first allow God to show you his. That's where the judgment comes from. Sometimes we got to say no. Sometimes we got to stop being with those people or doing those things. And we got to keep our kids from those things. We have to protect them. God's story does that. And when we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories. 
but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. Y'all want to read this book, don't you? It's a good one. We won't know how our stories are being used in God's story unless we know his story. Unless we open ourselves up to who he is and recognize who he's been in our lives and how he's had that thread in our story the whole time. And he's got a plan working for his good for those who love him.